gotta strip, then we'll go out. Don't quit, take a hit, never hold out. It's the weekend. Uh, welcome to the Nerd Crusade podcast. Uh, today's episode is kind of a special episode. Uh, we are doing uh episode all on John Wick. Here today with me is my friend uh, David. Uh, he is kind of a movie fish out, especially when it comes to uh, 4DX experiences, because that's what he specializes in. <clears throat> but uh, both fans of the John Wick series and figured with the fourth movie coming out and kind of being... Somewhat of a finale for John Wick, uh, at least for this part of the story. Uh, be good, like talk about like the whole franchise and what we thought of, of John Wick uh, for. The, uh, it's not the final chapter, but for John Wick's story, definitely. We'll definitely have spoilers in this, so if you haven't seen the movie, you probably don't want to watch this, or if you don't care about spoilers, keep listening. Uh, or if you haven't watched it, uh, let us know what you think, and if you agree with us or if you don't, uh, please leave comments below. Um, basically. Uh, we'll start off with, you know, John Wick. Like, what is John Wick if you don't know what it is? It's basically started out as a regular kind of revenge movie that kind of brought Keanu Reeves back into the mainstream frame again. Oh, I think the first John Wick was very uh, well received for its gritty realism and introducing us to kind of a new underground world of uh, assassins and crime uh, movies. I would say, like, Another movie that kind of tries to does the same thing, but doesn't execute it as well as the Equalizer with Denzel Washington. Um, it's trying to be John Wick. It really wants to be John Wick, but it's just not John Wick. <laughs> um, and the Equalizer just goes like in the opposite di- direction to going to like, oh, it's a government agency type of thing versus uh, John Wick being this total underground like ecosystem of assassins and a head table and organization that kind of controls all everything. Um, but if I, basic if premise I can of interject, it, though, yeah. Uh, I honestly, I think after watching the first one and the fourth one, and, and specifically watching the fourth one, technically three and a third times, which I'll, we'll get into later. It's just a funny story. The I've honestly felt like at the core, the the real thing about what made John Wick such a compelling narrative wasn't how you have this, you know, like the way you describe it is like kind of like this James Bond type of action-oriented aspect of, you know, he's a world traveler, he's an assassin, he knows how to get from place to place, he's got people that are loyal to him, he's got these very, very useful resources to get things that are not only illegal, but very difficult to obtain, even if they were illegal in that location, right? Like guns in certain countries, right? But I think the core of what makes John Wick 1 and 4 so good from a film standpoint, and and I think viewers will, will appreciate, is it's not about the action. It's not about these hitman organizations. It's not about the high table, right? Which is this almost like this assassin government that kind of oversees this whole dark underworld that's across the whole planet. It's really about John being this hitman who's like one of the toughest, if not the toughest hitman that ever lived. And no matter how many times you stabbed him, shot him, threw him off a roof, you name it, those wounds don't hurt. The one that hurts was the fact that his wife died. And that's really the driving force for me and why the series was so enjoyable. We'll get into two and three because I kind of have some some thoughts on those two. But I've always felt like that was the core of what made the franchise so compelling. Not so much the action, but the emotion behind what drove the action. Well, what I also think is like that is definitely and it's, it definitely is expl- is kind of emphasized in four is John Wick is a legend like in the first movie, you kind of you meet John like he's mourning his wife who's just died of can- of uh, cancer, I believe, or something like that. Um, she, uh, she basically gives him a puppy as a last parting gift of, hey, this is what you can mourn with. And the premise is basically some gangster's dumbass kid kills his kills his dog and steals his car because it's a nice car. Uh, it was a sixty nine or seventy uh, Mustang. Um, but basically. There is a le- in the first movie. There's a legend of John Wick being uh, Baba Yaga or being the guy you sent after the boogeyman, which the mob boss uh, explains, what Vigo explains to his son. But the underlying story underneath that is that he killed three guys with a pencil in a bar. Like who fucking does that? That's the that's the myth of John Wick is that he's killed people with a pencil, and he's a and he's a badass force of will. 
by the time you get to the fourth movie, the legend is he's killed a bunch of people because of a dog in a car. <laughs> Nobody cares about the pencil <laughs> story anymore. And now it's and by the fourth movie, it's John Wick stood up against the against the high table and he's still alive. And it's kind of shaking the foundations of that government. Whereas like the plot in the fourth movie is the antagonist is I want to erase the legend of John Wick so nobody fucking mentions him, nobody helps him, nobody does any acknowledgement of John Wick ever exists exist to with John if John wins in the end, John's legend is cemented in, in stone forever and nobody's not gonna know who the hell he is. Um Well well it's kinda like uh, going against the law, right? It's like they have these rules in place, nobody breaks them. If you break them, you're dead. And then John kind of steps in and not only breaks the rules, but strictly shows defiance. And he's not, you know, there's a quote from the fourth movie, right? He's like, why won't you just die? You know, it's it's a good, it's a good way to kind of, like you say, make him into a a legend as opposed to a person, um, which makes the fourth one so, so good in in many ways. But yeah, uh, I think like going back yeah. to the first movie, the first movie has a lot of that and builds that builds up all that because like you see the typical tropes of like, Hey, why'd you smack my kid? Oh, sir. He stole John Wick's car. And the response is just, Oh, hangs up when he tells, <laughs> tells uh, the kid like, Hey, uh, the person you, that nobody, you fucking killed dog and stole his car room. That was John Wick. You hear it say, Oh, like, Oh shit. I fucked up. <laughs> like everybody knows that everybody in that tight circle knows who he is. And then that, Legend just grows throughout all the movies where like that first movie was a great encapsulation of like what John Wick is, which was like this will, which he's described as a force of will and concentration. Like when he sets his mind to do something, he does it. And I think what was also really gripping was those action scenes wasn't just like a regular movie where bad guys, good guys shoot at each other. Oh, he wounds this guy, wounds guy, guy takes him down. No, John Wick wounds you, then he puts a bullet in your head and makes sure you're dead. Like, he'll double, triple tap people just so there's no chance of them getting up and coming back after him later on. Which, before John Wick, you never, you didn't see that a lot of movies. It was, oh, he shot him in the leg or shot him in the gut, that guy's down, so he's not going to worry about him anymore. No, it was, oh, you're down, I broke your leg, all right, I'm going to put a bullet in your head. And he does it so fast and efficiently, where when John Wick's going to kill you, he's going to kill you. There's no if ands or but he's going to kill you and then as you go he, on through he, he is some lenient though right he, he's not going to kill necessarily everybody but if you prove yourself to be a full-on threat he will kill you that i think he, is what, he, gives, why, he definitely gives so people endearing. a chance out yeah like the bouncer in the yeah. first movie he says hey well you should take the yeah. night off the guy says yes thank you mr wick and leaves yeah. But the well, people remember, he, he has a target he compliments for, him first. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, yo, you've lost weight. <laughs> so, like, John has respect for people. Like, I don't need to kill you. I don't have to. I won't. Um, just as even when uh, Vigo's talking to him, was like, just give me your son, dude. We'll, we'll call this even once once that's taken care of. And then the part about John, the first movie that I think it goes on a half hour too long is, but it makes sense after watching all of them in together, is that even after John Wick gets his revenge there. Vigo has to do what he has to do, where the people who betrayed him, he has to go and punish them. So he kills William Defoe, which enrages John again. Now John's going to kill Vigo. And then that's kind of cements him back into the system as being not this one time thing. He went and killed Vigo for killing William Defoe's character and all this other shit. When we hop into the second movie, it's like it's like good and weak at the same time. Where I feel like the very beginning of it's very weak. Where it's like, okay, why is John Wick on on the move again? Now he needs his car, so he's he's gonna tear up this whole shop just to get his car back. Then we find out well, it's not really the car; it's the fact that his last birthday card that he got from his wife was in the glove box. That's what he wants to get back because John is extremely sentimental. Any memory of his wife that he can have to hold on to, so he can be around, so he can remember her. Is what's important to her to him, and then that movie evolves into you us seeing more of the underworld with him having to be getting pulled back in to kill the head of the high table, and then the bounty being put on his head. Um, where I think like the movies really get better is like three and then four, really continue that the story of what's actually happening with John Wick and this whole underworld where he's there. Uh, there's been a bounty put on his head. He's gone in a circle to try and put the bounty off his head. Uh, but he has to go and kill the the owner of the Continental Hotel, his friend Winston, in order to do it. And then decides not to. 
And then we all think he gets betrayed by the end of uh, three by Winston because Winston shoots him off the roof of the building. But when yeah. you think about it, it's like, well, Winston didn't shoot him in the head. Winston shot him in the body and pushed him off a roof thinking that, well, he'll probably survive that. Um, so the, the question I have to you, though, is I don't know if I want to jump ahead, but did you catch the detail at the end of four about Winston? Uh, specifically his tattoo on his wrist uh no what was that detail he has the same family symbol as john's oh, so he's in the family exactly i never caught that it, literally the third time i was watching that it was when he he taps on you know because spoilers he taps on john wick's grave he says you know farewell my son when you see his hand you see the top of the cr- of the crest oh, okay on his wrist and that's when i realized oh <clears throat> you know because winston speaks Russian when he says it. That's when I finally put all those pieces together of, of why Winston was helping him in the first movie, right? Um why he was so helpful. Like he and said, why he gave why him like the should... gave him like the one hour countdown for the excommunicado in the by the end of the second movie. Exactly. Yeah. And he basically made every effort outside of taking the solid way to kill him, like he said, why shoot him in the body? He's right there. You could shoot him in the head. But... Yeah, because and that's the thing is that like when I first saw when I got to the end of John Wick 3, first, I was like, wow, Winston fucking betrayed him. Okay, so he's going to take on everybody. But like in 4, Winston's helping him again, right? So you're like, oh, wait, something's different there. And you realize, oh, wait, well, he didn't shoot him in the head. He just pushed him off the roof. Um, and it, what's kind of the bitter thing at the end of 4, I feel like, is that John does get what he wants. Um, but the person who gets everything he wants out of this entire kerfuffle that happens is Winston. He gets his he uh he basically does what he wants because he owns New York has to face the consequences for it in three where he gets his uh hotel basically kind of taken away from him and then four they blow up his hotel by the end of it he gets a new hotel has everything he wants and then John is left dead but John gets technically what he wants which kind of falls into the the philosophy of like you search you spend your whole life searching for happiness and and that inner peace and once you find it. Is usually the moment you're going to end up dying because you spent all your time finding, trying to get it. And once you finally get it, you're either going to lose it or you're going to die and no longer be able to <coughs> revel in the enjoyment of it. So John, the, the counter I would give to that, because I had to think about this, is, you know, John essentially seems to die, right? Which we can get into more later, but John seems to die. Um, Koji, his friend in Osaka at the Osaka Continental, he dies, right? His daughter survives. Um, Brittany made the point of like, why would Koji um, basically put his own daughter at risk and this and that? And I was trying to explain her. And I didn't think about it until she said it. If if you're trying to maintain this group of unity, like first of all, you're surrounded by killers and murderers who have only this rule of the high table to kind of keep them in check. So, and there's no business on a continental grounds that doesn't stop anybody, right? You have all these things that are very, basically very dangerous. The only thing you have to protect yourselves are your family and your friends. And you have to maintain that loyalty towards your family and your friends at all costs. Because if you're going to need help from somebody, you have nobody to trust other than money at that point. And money, someone's always going to have more money than you. So it makes sense to me that Winston, in essence, didn't really get what he wanted, right? Sharon died, the concierge of, of the New York Continental. Um, Koji died. Uh, John died. Uh, he lost a lot of trustworthy people, but Winston, I think, understands that if he falls, it's kind of like when the king falls, right? It's like you lost somebody that knows what moves to make to maneuver this dangerous organization because if they lose him, they lose a very good resource. And it's kind of like when they go back to John's family in Berlin where um, Katya, right, his, his, I think his cousin, um, she, she, you know, she relies on that let father, the priests, kind of guide her in some certain decisions. Without without that type of guidance, you would basically be lost in terms of maneuvering this dangerous world. So I can kind of see why Winston didn't necessarily get what he wanted, because I think if he wanted to get what he wanted, he would have got a lot more out of his opportunity. But I think that was his way of restoring power to himself so that he at least has some, some more power. Because you look at what the Bower King, right? That guy's in stop. And he's not really part of the tape, so to speak. Uh, 
Yeah, there's and, people. That's like, like, he's like someone who like knows of the table, knows of the world, but is not necessarily a hundred percent a part of it. Yeah, um, just like the character Nobody, he's a bounty hunter, assassin, not a part of the system, but knows of the system. But nobody seems to like he's like he says to nobody. Nobody cares who he is. <clears throat> um, I think uh, you're kind of right on that, but I think there's a bigger underlying story there that we haven't been told yet, which is that maybe Winston has known for years something's wrong with the table something or something's weird with how it's being led or corruption's happening there because even the second one john wick is pulled back in by the brother of the leading family of the table right and he says i want you to kill my sister who got who got the head seat it's just so he could get the head seat but to honor his family he had to put a bounty on john wick who he hired to kill his sister right which is kind of like a roundabout bullshit way a cowardly way of trying to take to take power, uh, and then wipe wipe the table clean by trying to kill John Wick, which was I think their big mistake. Which they should have just left him alone, <clears throat> and then they could have kept going on as usual. But because the betrayal against uh, to John Wick and then putting him on this path, uh, Winston I think helps him more. So like, all right, there's obviously problems at the high table that needs to be corrected, and Winston's not in a position to correct it. John Wick's not even in a position to correct it, but John Wick is moving on a, on a path to where he can, as they say in the fourth one, it will shake the very foundations of how our organization is run. Because they put this marquee in charge who's out to get out to wipe him out, but if it backfires, the power of the table is considerably weakened. Like who's going to be afraid of the table? Once you know, like John Wick, one man stood up against them, defeated them, and got what he wanted. And so did uh, Kane, for that matter, too. Basically, John Wick <clears throat> doing what he does by the end of the movie is more so not just to save uh, himself, get his own freedom, but is to get Kane his, the freedom that Kane was promised. Because Kane was in the same situation where he was retired, not supposed to be doing anything, and yet they pulled him in, not for a marker, not for anything else. They said, we're going to kill your daughter if you don't fucking go kill John Wick. Well, to be fair, Kane thought he was retired, but he made a deal, right? That's <clears throat> kind of how it all works, is you make a deal... You're pretty much stuck with the deal. John made a deal to get out of it. And so once, well, we don't once know exactly what his... Kane's deal was, though. All we know is that it, it seems like Kane probably made the same deal and got out and got his daughter protected. And yet he's not pulled in from a marker. He's pulled in from the marquee saying, do this or I kill your kid. Yeah, but remember, they have to honor a deal, right? We don't know what the deal was they made, but the marquee does say, uh, you came close today. I'm not sure what that means, but obviously it is a bit weird that he wouldn't be closer to his daughter, which he's playing the violin and, and the nurse, I believe. Yeah, um, and that, we don't know the details of the deal. It's like he needs to stay away from her to keep her safe. Yeah. Or is he staying away from her to keep her safe just because of his li- his old lifestyle? Whatever it is, it's there's something that we don't know there. But the fact that it wasn't a marker pulled on him, I feel like, okay, he thought he was retired. He was done. They forced him back into working to not only kill john wick it's like john wick john wick and koji and all these other characters like they're all friends it seems like at one point they all know who each other are so it's not just oh go kill this guy who's a legend it's go kill your friend or i'll kill your kid and even even at the end when like they get to the point where john can challenge the marquee to a duel and kane sits there and says hey i'm not gonna fight your fight (laughs) fuck this yeah and he still (laughs) says no you're gonna do it (laughs) yeah there was, there was a lot of good stuff. The funny thing is, John Wick 1 was really most about the aggrieved husband. John Wick 2 and 3, plot-wise, I, I mean, it, they felt like filler, honestly. Like, it's like watching, if you're, you know, for those who watch, like, Naruto Shippuden, even. It's like, you, you know you're watching a filler episode. And that's kind of what 2 and 3 felt like. It didn't feel very... The content depth is pretty minimal. Shallow, I would probably even use as a word to describe it. Whereas 4... The, the nice thing about 4 is you have the shallow approach of like, oh, it's John Wick. Here's some action that kind of it gets explained along with it. But there's a lot of depth. Like you mentioned Kane. A lot of people are going to be confused by, you know, obviously we know Kane and him are friends. Why would Kane help him up the stairs is like one simple question, right? Well, one, Kane won't get his deal if he doesn't get to kill John Wick at the end. Um, and then at, at, when he helps him up the stairs, he he literally stabs him in his right hand which just so happens to be John's shooting hand. 
Yeah. And he he's blind, right? So he's trying to make it at least even between the two. And he says, now we're even. Um, actually, I think first John says, uh, I owe you one. And then he stabs him in the hand. And he's like, now we're even. Um, and so there's a lot of that to it. And then when they actually get to the duel, you can see that they're kind of verbally hinting at each other that John is... Because remember when they're in the church, he's like, uh, you know, Cain is saying, if I had to choose between you and my daughter, you're going to have to die. And John's response is, maybe it doesn't have to be that way. And then they get to the duel, and then they say that line of, uh, those who cling to to death live, those who cling to life die. And that's when they're at 10 paces, right? They've both been shot twice. And that's when when Cain basically shoots him, which seems to be fatally in the abdomen. But John doesn't shoot, and that's when the Marquis steps in for the coup de grace, absolves Cain of of him and his daughter having any obligations anymore, right? And then John shoots the Marquis, and now he's dead. So John is now absolved of his of his issues. Um, Winston gets the Continental back, paid on the dollar of the high table, and and essentially everybody's cleared out of this bad problem, right? It it's interesting in how you have so much depth to that because I mean. The fourth one, I feel like when you watch it again, there's so many little details you can catch on. Like, for example, I named Winston's tattoo. I mean, the more obvious one is Tracker, right? The guy with the dog. Like, why wouldn't he shoot Wick at the end? Because he can, right? But if you think about it, John, like you said, we said earlier, John's likable. He could have killed him, but he saw his dog in danger. John likes dogs. So he shot the, I forgot the guy, who's one of the high tables, Marquis men. Um, the guy speaking Spanish. I think he's from yeah. Spain. I'm not sure. His name was like Ringer or something. I forget what he's cast as, but like he's the head head henchman of the Marquis who just does not fucking die. Even though I thought like, <laughs> he's not dead yet. God damn it! He dies at the end though. Yeah. Remember, uh, Tracker well, shoots him finally at the end. I thought he might have got killed when John shot him before he killed the dog, and then he came back on the stairs I'm like, "Fuck, this guy's still alive." Yeah, he put, I think, two in his chest, and then he fell over the stairs, and then he hit the ground. And I guess he just laid there for, I don't know, a few minutes, and then he got up. I think you're absolutely right with it. Like, some of the movies feel like, feel like, it's like I was really disappointed with John Wick 3, because I'm like, wow, John Wick just went in a complete circle. He went to the man who sits above the table, got his uh, freedom, got admission to get his freedom back, and then went right back to saying, fuck you to the table, and going and being hunted down again. Which really annoyed me. It's like, man, I wanted three to kind of be the conclusion, but I guess they're going to go for another fourth movie. So I felt like they stretched it out when they shouldn't have. But you know, again, can we jump? Can we jump into the possibility that he's not dead, or do you want to wait? <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get to that because I think there's lots, there's just very different uh, opinions on that. Uh, some people think the gravestone of John Wick is that John Wick the assassin is dead, and John is actually alive, living as John the husband. Um, so we'll get into that a little bit later, but uh, I want to say, like, at least with like the two, two and three, I think the thing with those movies is one, three, he goes to the giant circle, like I said, but like those are more feel more like art house movies. Like two is very much a stylized movie where they de- where they definitely lean into the color theory that people apply to the first John Wick movie. There's a whole thing in, in two where a lot of the characters are introduced through reflections versus uh, a normal introduction. So before you see the character's face, you'll see their face in a reflection, even if it's brief. You'll always do see that first, uh, to the point where in two they're they're literally having a gunfight in a hall of mirrors. Like they're trying to yeah. say something, something about reflections in, and and reflecting on yourself and the situation you're in. In two, <clears throat> and three is pushing the whole. I feel like three is trying to push the whole narrative forward, but pushes it into a circle so they can have a fourth movie, and then this is where it wraps a lot of that stuff up. Um, whereas like. This is where I feel like John Wick kind of becomes a victim of its own success, where there's things in 4 where I'm like, okay, we've crossed out of, like, the gritty realism and, like, the efficiency of John Wick 1 into this is a video game, this is a comic book. Because, Are you like, talking about the club scene? <laughs> the club dude, like, you have a fat guy who's, like, 350 pounds round kick John Wick in the face. I'm like, all right, that's the Streets of Rage fat boss, dude. What the fuck? And then they also was- have... The hotline, Miami, say, hotline the, Miami. The, the guns. How are they? They not running in that club. I would have been fleeing by like the third body. That's the funny thing. If you watch, I watched. I watched the club. The people in the club in the background, and you could see like the club goers react. Like, is this a performance? Is this is part of the show, or 
and like like there's a chick who's dancing and looking at the guy and killing people like what what the fuck's going on is that guy really dead and then when they finally realize it that's when everybody leaves but it's not not it's not like until after they he kills the fat man um but like there's sequences in there that were very cool like the hotline miami sequence where it's all above headshots uh from the ceiling down as they fight through that uh building very cool but it's like also like wow this reminds me of hotline miami this is very much a video game brought to life which is kind of which is kind of cool but also like all right we're playing into kind of tropes to try and make things look more cool or edgy and then the other thing that kind of gets to me is that they introduced in two or even in the fir- first one it's kind of there but in two they really do introduce that hey the suits that they wear are bulletproof so what do you have happening in in four john wick constantly pulling up the tail of his suit over his head while they're firing it looks fucking ridiculous, but you're like, oh, he's making sure he doesn't get shot in the head using his bulletproof suit. But it's like, it looks fucking stupid, dude. Like, we've fallen to... I'm okay island. with that. They've, they've been around for a while, too. You know that, right? The bulletproof suits. Yeah, but, but like, you get you get told for sure that, they're bullet, that these are bulletproof suits in the second one when he gets suited up for the main mission. And then, so, okay, you know, all right, in this world, anybody wearing a suit has a bulletproof suit. And then there's the tactical force from in three from the high table that have bulletproof helmets and all that shit. So it takes a lot to kill these guys. But you end up in four with them running around. Even uh, Kane, Donnie uh, Yen's character, sitting there pulling suits, pulling the tail of their suit jacket up over their head so they don't get headshotted. So it's kind of like, yeah, I get the suits are bulletproof, but now we're now we're relying so much on that to say that's why nobody's shooting them in the head. Uh, I mean, it's kind of up and down. So to get into details, people are not as good of a shot as John Wick is. And remember, John has like been, by the time people are really pulling up their coats and stuff, like he has been, he's, God knows how many bones had been broken in his body by that point. Like how many ribs? I mean, he jumped out of the window at, at the end of four and hits the truck and then goes down. And before that, when he was in Berlin, He's thrown off like what would basically be the third floor of a club. He hits like a, a concrete beam that sticks out and then hits the ground like another story and a half. I mean, it's all takes I mean, place he, over the course of maybe a month, probably from John Wick One to John Wick Four, depending on travel time between areas. Well, they don't really tell you the time, which actually I do like because you can kind of assume that this is days <laughs> versus months. Well, um, John Wick Three, they do mention that uh, he killed a bunch of people the, uh, last week just over a car and a dog. Like so, she like the the um, auditor mentions the timeline there. What we don't know is how much time has happened has gone between um, three and four because you don't know when he went to uh, Tokyo, how long it took him to get there, how long it took him to hunt down the elder in the desert. We don't know what that time frame is, but it, I would assume because how fast one, two, and three are within the time frame that this all takes place within a total of a month at most. Yeah, I would, I, would, I would even be compelled to say less because they kind of foreshadow that timeline in the first John Wick when I forgot it, or Vigo is, is talking about uh, he's a man of sheer will, pure focus, right? <clears throat> in in John Wick 4, he only speaks what, I think they said it was 380 words, right? So it's, And they cut down his dialogue by half I was reading on the fourth film. So if you kind of have that as an indication of what he does, I would probably say no more than three weeks across all four movies is, is what he's done. And yeah. I think a month, is being, a month from... is being generous. Like three weeks is probably what it, what it's at. But I only say that because I don't know how he traveled to find to uh, Casablanca. Cause I don't mm. think they put him on a plane. <laughs> and if it's by yeah. boat, it's a lot longer. Um, but what type of boat got him over there and then got him back? And then he goes back again by because being the fourth movie, he's killing uh, he's killing the guy who sits above the table, a different elder, for his ring, which he doesn't even get the ring back anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, so in the fourth one, what he went from New York to Jordan to Berlin and then Paris. And then I feel like I'm missing. The you're missing you're freaking Tokyo, basically. He goes to Jordan, Tokyo. Tokyo. Yeah, he's Osaka. That's right. Yeah. So. <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of flight work. So maybe at, at minimum a week based on the flight. Because what? From New York to Tokyo, that's like half a day minimum. Um, yeah, it's at least, at least 10 hours or something uh, or, or more. Yeah. To get over there, more, depending, yeah. depending on how he's flying. Uh, that's if, And again, that's if he's flying. Because remember, there's still a bounty on his head from the high table. So how is he getting around incognito? Whether it's somebody giving him a private jet or some way of 
traveling incognito, which we don't know how. Um, but like you, like you said, the auditor, what they say and kind of how the timeline lays out, we're thinking three weeks to maybe a month time frame. This whole story takes place. Um, but like I said, like I feel like one of the things that people liked about the first John Wick was kind of the gritty realism of it with a little bit of that fantasy full of this underground world that we don't know much about in the mystery. That was very intriguing to where four we've gone to full on comic book villains of that, of the Berlin guy and like, Hey, look, the magical bulletproof suit. <laughs> yeah. Killer, killer Harkin. Yeah. Yeah. I knew, I knew, uh, Scott Atkins that played him, but like watching that fight, I'm like, this is obviously a, stunt man or a stunt person who's obviously in a fat suit <laughs> yeah killer harkin talking about killer harkin he kind of felt like a cartoon character especially when he dies <laughs> he's got that funny face played, played by scott adkins i didn't know if you caught that yeah i i will say this i do think this will probably be scott adkins best movie um he's not in a lot of good stuff a lot of his stuff is is forgettable i mean isn't he darth maul no, that Darth Maul was played by the guy that played Toad in X Men, who I can't remember his name. Um, also a good actor, great like stuntman type of actor. But you know, Scott Adkins, he mainly plays like a combat type of guy in a lot of movies. I mean, I I, I think the first movie I remember him from is Rekill, which is a zombie movie. Um, but uh, yeah, he's in he's in a handful of movies. I mean, he's he's good at combat. He's kind of like Michael Jai White, where he has some competency, but he didn't really, he hasn't really found like a film that really taps into his skill set very well, which is funny because let me know what you think about this. A lot of people on, on Twitter, right? Cause I use Twitter frequently. We're talking about how Keanu Reeves isn't really a very strong actor. You know, he's, he's kind of like a B actor that's in a movies. And it's, it's kind of funny because when you think about it, Keanu's really more of a, I mean, first of all, he's highly likable, right? Everybody talks about how much they love John Way- or Keanu Reeves, how likable he is, how nice he is, how generous he is. And a lot of his movies he's been in are action movies, right? He was in Speed. He was in The Matrix. He's now in John Wick. Um, you know, he's in Point Break, right? He's in a lot of these action-oriented thriller-type movies. And with him being in these films, he really is kind of like an Arnold Schwarzenegger, but without the muscles because he's Arnold was never known for great acting. He was known as being this, like, I believe you despite the ridiculous, like, you know, he's, you know, a guy with a thick Austrian accent in the American military. Sure. Why not? Here, here's predator, right? You, you believe it because it's, it's good enough. And I, I feel like Keanu, you really couldn't have made John Wick without Keanu because he has, that stunt training, he has the martial arts training from starting back with Wu Ping back to the original Matrix. I don't think you could have made a movie like that, but I think it's fascinating to when you think about how the the acting in John Wick, there's I, I feel like using less words for the John Wick character was ultimately beneficial both from an acting standpoint, but also from a character standpoint. And I'm I'm glad that Keanu cut back half his dialogue, right? Him and Chad Stahelski, the director, they cut back half the dialogue in the fourth one. Um, and originally, I do know that they had talked about shooting four and five together, but Chad Stahelski, I mean, what, what? how long is the fourth one? It's like two hours and 45 minutes. It's almost three hours, dude. It's like two hours yeah, and minutes. Yeah, and Chad Stahelski said that he would have loved to have done it, but he says, I'm just like, you know, between movies, I take like a year off. How am I supposed to take everything I've learned from life and cram it into this next movie? That to me is why John Wick 4 is so good because you can actually see Chad taking those lessons from working on all this because he was a stuntman, right? From the matrix. That's really how they got Keanu Reeves introduced to the John Wick franchise when they, when him and I forgot the guy's name, David something um, was in David Leitch uh, had this idea for the John Wick franchise. Well, when they when they really did it, you can obviously tell the action was cranked up higher than anything. And I saw the the first two showtimes in 4DX, right? And one thing I will say is when whenever somebody's getting their throat slashed and there's a blood splatter, it was cool having water spray on your face. When when he's in the club and he's like walking through the the, the water curtain, right? That that they have in that club, 
or when he's even just getting rained on while he's beating up one of the guys, you're getting wet and you're feeling the, the, the wind fans above you and the water is hitting you in the face. Um, all these really nice touches were really good. Like when people get shot in the back, your seat has like little spots where it'll hit you. So you're getting hit in the back when people get hit in the back. When bullets are flying by John's head, you have a, like a little air shoot on your left and right hand side of, a, of your headrest that shoot past your ears. There was a lot of really fine touches that they did with this. And I would actually go on and say, as somebody who's seen, I, I honestly lost count of how many 4DX movies I've seen. It's over a dozen easily. This is probably the second best. It's It does everything so well from start to finish. I mean, the very beginning of the movie, when he's punching that wooden plank, your chair is already beating the crap out of you because it is shaking every time he punches. It's like, boom, boom, boom. Um, when that car scene happens, you're feeling him in the car, and then you're feeling like you're getting hit by the cars while getting shot. <laughs> it's uh, one of the yeah, most... I mean, the 4DX stuff, is it's a total different... Uh element you have to add on it's not just like oh put effects or spray water here or these cues it's somebody has to go and edit and choreograph every single thing that's going to happen and make sure it flows properly with what uh, you're experiencing as a moviegoer but i'd say like you listed out a lot of keanu's movies but you listed out like all his big blockbusters he has done a ton a ton of other stuff that shows his acting range in a way, uh, way more comprehensive way. Even since when he was a kid, and he did Parenthood with uh, Steve Martin. All them, um, he has really, really good acting chops. And anybody that says, "Oh, he's not really that great of an actor," has not watched his whole catalog. They've only watched stuff like Speed, The Matrix, Point Break, where he's playing like an action-focused action hero type of person, and not playing a character-driven or emotional-driven character, which he's done in a lot of different things, and he's done very, very well. So I would think like. His acting ability is definitely top, top notch. He's definitely really good uh, at that. Uh, I think people, I understand why people think that his acting skills may not be up there uh, because they don't know his whole body work. Because there's stuff that he's done recently that I've never even heard of. Um, the guy that uh, plays Vigo's brother at the beginning of the second one, who's also uh, Satan in Constantine, uh, that guy had his own like little. Peter um, Stormare. Peter Stormer had his own like little sitcom, uh, not sitcom, but like a miniseries show that he did that Keanu guest star does a guest spot in, and play and ends up playing uh, playing the ghost of his dead partner, uh, in there. He's only in there for a short period of time, but he's very memorable in that role. Uh, but like I didn't even know that that existed. That's something that happened in the last uh, within the last decade. So I think Keanu does a lot of stuff that he's not given. Um, a lot of credit for because he's not out there out there like promoting every little thing he does not everything he does is a big blockbuster and he does and he also makes it so like when he does do a cameo on a show the show's not focused around his cameo um even if like an episode is or something but like it's something like, oh i didn't know he was in that show what what episode is he in and then like people go back and they watch and they get the context of it it's not like <clears throat> what i say like the what well, Robin Williams' problem was with, with Disney where he's like, hey, I'll be in Aladdin, but don't make the movie about me being in Aladdin. And they made it all about him being in Aladdin. So Calrie is very much like in that sense that he has a lot of star power, but he can be in things without people showcasing or making or being able to sell the movie just on the fact that he's in it for like five seconds, you know? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think he's a bad actor. I just think when you watch him in, for example, Bram Stoker's, you compare Gary Oldman to him. It's like Gary Oldman's like on a whole other level, you know. Even and when I would definitely a, say that's that's part of his career when he was learning how to do some really deep acting and not not at the top <laughs> of his game. He was still a kid. I mean, he's done some amazing acting when he was a kid, like kid after Bill and Ted. But he also has done like oh, Bram Stoker, dude. Yeah, you need to work on that a little bit. Well, the, I think and, even he will admit that, like, yeah, Bram Stoker wasn't my best performance. Well, it, you know, talking even with John Wick, I thought the the worst performance he had in the series was actually in the first movie when he's tied up to the chair and he's doing his, you know, someone calls it his Keanuisms. Um, you know, he's like, people have been asking me if I'm back. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm back. Like that was one of the weaker performances he had in in the franchise. But I mean, it's it's like what I was saying with Arnold. You know, it's you 
how else are you going to get the total package? Like you're, it's so hard to get somebody who can do acting, action, fight choreography, but also understand how to maneuver with the camera in the environment with the action. Like I think that stairway scene is a perfect example. Um, Donnie Yen, I think, is an even better example of how to maneuver in front of the camera. The, ma the man is honestly known for that sweet jump kick he does, which of course he does in this movie, what, twice? Um, yeah. But the guy has like the sweetest kicks you could see in any type of martial arts film. That's why he was so great in Ip Man. And in this one, it's it's so good. Keanu, he's really the 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 foundation of what you can build the whole film around. You couldn't have done it without him. And I even I've I've thought about who could you do it with. There isn't really anybody you can do it with because the hardest part, you could probably find someone that can do the action. You could probably find someone who could do the acting. But the hardest part of what makes John Wick's character so endearing is he's likable. And I don't think that's the one thing that any other actor could do that could do the other two parts of that. Yeah, his reputation of just being who Keanu Reeves is makes him likable and immediately makes people like, oh, well, yeah, John Wick is likable. <laughs> At, even though we're watching him murder people relentlessly throughout this whole thing. And uh, to talk about Donnie Yen a little bit, because we should definitely give him credit too, because um, one, like I knew Donnie Yen was in the movie from all the trailers, but what I didn't know, realize from the trailers was that he was blind. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit, mm -hmm. he's playing another blind character. That's pretty badass. And Donnie Yen pulls it off very, very well and convincing that, yes, this guy is blind. Um, I mean, like... We've seen him play a blind character before, like in uh, Star Wars Rogue One. He was a kind of like a blind semi-Jedi type character. Um, but he didn't do a lot of action here. Here he's doing full-fledged fights and maneuvering, and they have to explain, like, how does he know where this guy is? And so he's using mo uh, motion detectors and that to trigger uh, locations for himself. The, the doorbell ringers, yeah. yeah. Ding, ding. I thought that was like, very interesting. <laughs> so I was like, oh, great. That's awesome that like he's using that to pinpoint where people are at so he can kill them. He's also um, great, great comedy too. Because remember, before that, he's still eating the pasta. Yeah, <laughs> Donnie Yen like brought a lot to this film, and even like I like this the the showdown scene with him, Wick, Nobody, and Klaus, where he's like, "That guy's a fucking cheater, huh? Let me guess, five of a kind." <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Klaus was the Family Guy. My, hi, my name's Klaus. You know that guy was funny, but no, yeah, you're thinking oh, yeah. Harkin, kill kill Harkin, a Harkin. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, it's like. Yeah, the fat German guy. Like, well, I couldn't. I you know one thing about it is like, because they show where the Berlin Wall monument was at. I was like, is this guy still like living in, in like it's East Germany and the and Russia still has control of it or something? Because <laughs> that's the whole feel that scene felt like to me. Like it was nineteen eighties or early nineties Germany. It's funny you mentioned earlier the grittiness because so John Wick one was very gritty, and I would kind of put in the same type of gritty action category as the Raid Redemption, but. <clears throat> After John Wick 1, it gets more cartoony. And I actually think the worst part in terms of the action was having Common, the you know the, the, the singer, in this yep. series. Because he couldn't fight. Everything he threw was like a right hook. Um, you know, whereas at least Scott Adkins, that guy actually is martial arts trained. So he's he does, I mean, like, you're right. He's kind of wearing the fat suit, throwing these moves. But to counter that, I say Samuel Hung. Because that guy was legitimately overweight, and he could still whoop my ass like any day. I'm sure he's he's in his like what fifties now. He can still whoop me easy. Um, True, but, but I, that guy. But but he is not as big as they depicted uh, San, uh, Atkins' character in four. Like Atkins' character waddles. Yeah, <laughs> he would walk. Right? A person who waddles is not going to turn around, pull pull a super fast roundhouse kick to the face. And but not, I'll and be able to keep his balance and then run up a bunch of stairs and not be fucking dying of of trying to catch his breath. But that also was, in my opinion, Scott Adkins' best acting because usually he just he plays this you know gritty type of like former military combatant yeah, you know I, sort of character. In this one, he actually has to be humorous, um, but also be vindictive. And I actually think when I watched him in this, I, my first thought was the Penguin from the Batman. Yeah, that's what I thought too. That's uh, exactly what I thought of him. But I actually think watching him in this, he would be an acceptable replacement for Kingpin in the Spider-Man franchise, in my mind. <clears throat> yeah, and that's also what I thought because when I when this character comes on screen, I see and they fight. I'm like, so I feel like I'm I'm re I've told I completely feel like I'm I'm reading a comic book right now. And this is a Kingpin fight because yeah. like it's unbelievable. But yeah, fine, I'm going to accept that it's there. Uh, type of thing, and that's why I say like John Wick 
got very popular off of its gritty realism of the first movie, but then kind of goes not doesn't jump the shark, but it does go very fantasyful and comic book action and video game action by the by the fourth one, to where there's direct callouts. Like I said, there's this action scene that everybody's talking about. Like, oh, it's so great, so great. It references this old movie that did this too. And it's like, dude, that's Hotline Miami. They yeah. saw Hotline Miami and they recreated it exactly. Even if Hotline Miami is a recreation of this old movie you're talking about, it's Hotline Miami. Like that's a video game sequence. That's like and it's just done so well there. It's not as jarring as like the first person shooter sequence in the Doom movie where you're like, ugh, why the fuck is that here? Um, well, you, you know, talking about the the transition from that grittiness to the other thing, I would probably compare that more accurately to like, have you ever seen Manhunter? No. So Manhunter, they remade it as the Red Dragon, right? Which, you know, it's like Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. Um, Manhunter was the first one. Um, Michael Mann made the original Manhunter. Great movie, by the way. Uh, and I've watched Red Dragon and Manhunter again. And, I, and Manhunter, to me, is still a superior movie. But I think Manhunter is gritty. It's believable. None of it is ridiculous. Um, but when you get to Hannibal Lecter and Silence of the Lambs, there is a fantastical element at play that kind of takes it beyond your standard belief. And I think of it, part of it is how it's portrayed. In, in John Wick Chapter 4, I don't know if anybody could get up so easily from being jumping out of the what third or fourth floor window, hitting a truck, and then hitting the pavement, getting hit by that many cars, and, and being... I mean, even if you're getting shot and you're wearing a bulletproof suit, you're still going to get some bruises. You're still going to get knocked back. And the fact that nobody once hit him in the hands or in the head also is very fantastical in that hail of fire. And that's the thing is that like John Wick becomes a myth, right? And then there's certain things that that myth abides by, which is John is impervious to cars. He can be hit by a car and he's perfectly fine. He's constantly hit head on by cars throughout this franchise. And he's perfectly fine. Falling from a building will not call, kill John Wick. So he can jump from a building, fall and not die. Where most people are like, fuck, I broke my arm or twisted my, I fucked up my ankle. I cannot walk anymore. <laughs> um, John Wick can't survive those things because if he, does, if he survives it once, it's now put in stone that John Wick is impervious to this. John Wick is impervious to bullets while he's wearing his fancy suits because his suit is bulletproof. And like you said, yeah, where they're holding up the suit to cover their heads, why isn't his hand getting shot? Or yeah. why are we doing that? Like John Wick is definitely a marksman. He can shoot somebody's hand very well, but we should believe that John Yang can do the same thing. And they're two feet from each other, shooting shooting at each other at one point. Um, so that's where it becomes a victim of its own success and its own lore, and then it has to become more fantasyful. Um, but again, it's not to a point where I feel like it jumped the shark, and it's like, oh, this is so unbelievable. This is a garbage movie now. It's like, all right, I'm going to buy into what you're ta- what you're showing me. Fine, let's let's see where this keeps going. And it does go to a very interesting place. Like I definitely liked all the villains, even even the fat guy in Berlin that Atkins plays was a very memorable villain because of that whole car table scene that they have and how he's mocking all of them right there. And even the Marquis, I thought, was a really great villain to represent the power and the desperation of the high table that they put this psychopath in charge of trying to wipe out John Wick. And his idea is not like, I'm going to kill him, is everything he touches I'm going to destroy. I'm blowing up the New York Continental. We don't know if he blew up the Osaka one, but he might have. Um, yeah. But he, he basically wipes everything out that John Wick touches. Um, and he makes a really, really good villain to the point where even he gets the villain cockiness at the end where it's like, ah, I get the coup de gras, I'm going to kill him. And doesn't realize John didn't shoot a shot, and John shoots him right in the head. Um, it was a great, like, oh, snap, dude, he totally fucking got him. And, like, Winston gets the, the satisfaction of pointing it out that you're a fucking idiot. The villains really is what makes four really so enjoyable. You're, you're absolutely right, because that was the thought I had about the first one, because obviously Vigo's son, not a terrifying thing for John Wick, right? But, yeah, Vigo, and then... Um, you, you have the guy that actually throws them over at the club, right? Those You have these opponents in the film that you cannot have a strong character without them having to endure <coughs> something that shows they're strong. And that's what I thought 1 and 4 did so well. 2 and 3 yeah. got very fantastical, where it was very much a fantasy as opposed to 
like you said, gritty realism, which four isn't really gritty realism, but it does a better job of balancing it. Like, you know, when the, the dog pisses on the guy's head after they shoot the, the high table security guard, they do a good job of balancing these fantastical grittiness and comedy. I just think it has the best balance of all these elements into one. Whereas the first one was really more about the grittiness presentation of a grieving man. What, what is interesting to me though, is, I, so I've been like looking at Letterbox, IMDb, and everything, and looking at the reviews, and it's funny because a lot of people seem to focus purely on the action with John Wick Four, but from a narrative perspective, there seems to be this agreement that John Wick One is still the best. And then there's also discussion of is John Wick the best action franchise that has ever existed? I, I'm trying. I'm actually struggling to think of anything that would even be comparable because it was so consistent in its action that I actually feel like it would probably be the the best. The raid would probably be another one, but it's only had what two films, so it's hard for me to say that that one is better. Uh, you know, you got Die it's Hard, def- Predator. You name it. I mean, it. it's definitely hard to quantify, right? But because I feel like John Wick unknowingly created its almost its own genre, which a lot of people are calling neon noir with how it's stylized and it's filming and the lighting and the action. And I kind of agree. Like, it feels like a noir-ish type of action film, but does it compare to, like, a Predator film? I feel like they're almost too different to be compared together. Uh, I would say, like, I enjoy the action in Judge Dredd far more than I enjoy the action in John Wick, but I enjoy John Wick's action, because, but it's a different type of action I'm enjoying. Like, I do appreciate the stunts that happen all throughout the entire series and the stunt work that goes into all of it. But I also appreciate the narrative that they're telling quite a bit too. Like, where, you know, Commando that has a lot of great action, but it literally has, like, really not really a very good villain. It's just one man versus an army in a 24 hour period. And it's a f- shock full of a ton of fucking action. But I would not say this on the same level as a John Wick movie, but I wouldn't say that's a bad action movie. It's like, it's your typical, you want to know what, like, an Arnold Schwarzenegger 1980s action film was? That's what it was. That's like the in the can action film that that people made back then, versus like the deep story of like Terminator stuff like that. Yeah, I would probably the, one of the reasons why I feel like it would be the best franchise, even if I had to kind of it, it is subjective. You're right, but I feel like it is is because they took elements. You have sword, in fourth specifically, you have gunplay, uh, uh, sword fighting, right, hand to hand combat. <laughs> vehicles you pretty much have the whole gamut essentially of action like archetypes that you could see in a film there aren't there aren't many films that have really come close to doing it um you know we talked about the the raid redemption or I mentioned that earlier that one is is still to me a better action film but i wouldn't even begin to say that that's a better franchise because i didn't feel like two from the raid was anywhere near as good as one, but you have one and four with John Wick that are solid and you have great action scenes in two and three as well, especially like the motorcycle scene. Um, the noir is actually an interesting touch visually because with the club scene in, in John Wick one, that was really what made it so interesting. And it's a part of me was kind of, um, disappointed in four to some extent because they rehashed so much, from the first film, you know, you have another club scene. They even use some of the songs from the first movie, which I get it. Um, there was a lot of nostalgia in the fourth film, which I kind of wish they, they would venture more into new grounds and new tracks. Because obviously, La Castlevania, he pumps out some great music and you hear his songs again. And it's great with the action. But I would actually say it reminded me a lot of, remember Mortal Kombat? It was in 1994. Yeah where you watch the movie, but it's more like one big music video. Because like when that first action scene in Osaka, where um, I forgot, Shimizu's, Koji Shimizu's daughter is like stabbing that guy in the back and they have that hard-hitting bass, like it gets, it gets your heart pumping. And not very many movies have ever achieved that type of magic. And it's, I can't think of a better action franchise that, that's that consistent across four films. Well, that's the thing is that by the time you get to John Wick 4, <clears throat> if you've, seen all the cues or notes or you watch like people's videos essays you've heard the things like when i was watching this like i would notice oh 
he's gonna be in a blue light. He's gonna he's gonna beat somebody's ass. Oh no, it's red. He's gonna get hurt. <laughs> now it's blue. He's, he's gonna punch somebody. <laughs> and that club scene in Berlin was ex- almost exactly that. Every time the lights changed blue, he was beating somebody's ass. But so turned red. John Wick took a hit, and then he went back to blue. He started beating somebody's ass. And because like those are the things again with the lore and the stylized filming that like whether they did it purposely or whether it was by accident in the first film, it became kind of like what this lore or how John Wick's universe works that anytime John's in blue light, he's going to beat the shit out of everybody. Anytime it's not, he's probably going to get hit and then uh, fall back and then he's going to bounce back again. So um, the filming of it was also another thing. That's why I feel like the neon noir thing is like, this is a new genre of type of, of an action film. It doesn't fall in place with everything else because the action is also dictated by the environment, the sound design, everything that's happening in that moment is dictating what's happening and not just this is background to what's happening. Whereas a lot of movies, especially definitely in the eighties where it's like, here's that one hit song, you know, that's going to be the background hero theme music (laughs) that when that plays, he's going to win. And when it doesn't play, he's going to lose. That's like the, that was like the gist of most movie of how deep sound design got in movies where it's like, play the hero's theme when he's winning. All right. Tone it down when he starts losing. Now tone it back up when he starts winning again. Now here, John Wick, like throughout all the movies, it's lighting, it's the sound, it's the music, uh, everything. Camera work, plays choreography. Into it. Yeah, everything on how it's angled, what it looks like. And I agree with you, like when you say like Common is probably like the most misplaced character. And to me, I look at that, it's like, oh, Common's act with Keanu Reeves and a few other things in the past, like small bit stuff. This is Keanu ha- having his friends come out and play with him. Like, because I didn't like Common's <laughs> character at all. I was like, Ugh, this guy's like a waste. Like, Common is it? It can be a good actor, and he's done some interesting stuff, but he's not like at all on the range of any of the other people in the other John Wick movies. No, he, he's not a formidable, <clears throat> a for, or for, yeah, formidable uh, villain, and his combat training, or at least his choreography, was was terrible. Um, but I mean, his best speeches in Smoking Aces when he knows when he's being oh, betrayed yeah. by by the uh, that character, he's like, "Dude, assume I know the answer." And that's like he's good at delivering those those good like methodical, like intimidating like monologues. But like beyond that, I'm like, "Wow, look, it's common in a movie." <laughs> Congratulations, <laughs> you made it. So the the funny thing is, is you know, we were talking about how at one point they were going to make a fifth movie. And it's funny because Chad Stahelski said, you know, obviously you see the end of this movie. You're like, where can it go? Right. And then after the, did you say for after the credits? Yeah. The after credit sequence where you see, uh, Siwa Sawagawa, who is the Kiyoshi's daughter, uh, basically the, uh, concierge of the Kyoto, uh, uh, what's the name of the hotel? God damn it. Continental in Osaka. Yeah. The Osaka continental, uh, she's going to avenge her father because there's that nice scene after he kills, after Johnny and, and Kane or Kane kills her father. He says, "Hey, I'll be waiting for you," which is a nod to like those old Japanese uh, uh, Japanese even anime movies where they're like, "Hey, I'll be waiting for you. You, you, I expect you to want to get revenge on me sooner or later. I'll expect you in the future." And then they pay that off at the end with her like. Oh, he's gonna go finally go talk to his dark because he's finally free, and then there she is in the crowd. And she pulls out that knife, like, oh, she's going for her revenge, and that's where I see like, I see the John Wick franchise expanding and going on to like, I think my personal belief is that John Wick is dead, and it's not because the gravestone said John Wick; it's because it said what he wanted to say, loving husband. If it just said John Wick, I would have been on board with all right. John Wick, the assassin, is dead, and John is actually alive. But since it said loving husband, I'm like, all right, John Wick is completely dead and gone. I'm fine with that. Cool. Give me the TV show The Continental, which is going to be about all the happenings that happens inside the hotel. That'd be awesome. Give me another movie where uh, Siwa's character is going after Kane, and we see them doing going after her, and whether or not she gets revenge or ends up uh, forgiving him, and they become friends, and they go on their own adventures together or something like that. It'd be great to expand this world with other characters. I would love to see more of that. Um, and I'd be excited to see if they if they do expand it. And if they do another movie and they bring John Wick back, like, uh, okay. But it makes, like, the, f- the finale of John Wick 4 that I feel like it should be 
less strong if John Wick is still alive. Especially when you when you think about it, right? The other hints that you have he's dead is why would Winston bid farewell? And then the mm-hmm. Bower King, right, has his dog. Um, yep. But in, in terms of where they're going to go from here, there is talk about a John Wick 5. I don't know if it'd be a prequel or whatnot. There have officially, there's the ballerina movie, which is supposed to have Anna de Armas as a ballerina who's a hitman. And all that's really kind of been said that I can, it's all rumor really, but it's supposed yeah, to follow John Wick similar might line. appear in there because that might be a, a prequel to, to this timeline. Yeah. Same as Continental, um, yeah. which is a series. Whereas, so ballerina is a movie, Continental is a series. I did read that there is an unannounced movie in development right now that they are going to announce soon. So there's at least three projects coming out. And then there's also talking about a sequel already to Ballerina. Um, and then obviously John Wick 5. So the ones in discussion are Ballerina 2, John Wick 5. And then the spinoffs we have so far confirmed are Ballerina, Continental. And then there's an unannounced movie that I'm not sure what that. Maybe that's going to be Donnie Yen. I, I would prefer that be the case, to be honest. I think that'd be great. Um, but uh, who knows what the unannounced movie is going to be. Yeah, we don't know. I mean, the thing is, like, the big theme in John Wick 4 is also consequences, right? That is a big theme in 3, and it's also a big theme in 4, where it's like you find everything you do has consequences. Kane killing uh, the manager of Osaka Continental means that his daughter is going to come after him. Um, John Wick is finally free of all the consequences everything by the end of 4 by killing the Marquis and being granted you're completely free of all your obligations. We will never bother you again, and then he dies. So that's why I think it's a nice uh, finality to his story of he got out, got sucked back in, got pulled in even further, had to go up against the table because they wouldn't let uh, let it be because they, they felt they had to flex their power uh, by going after John Wick and uh, to, qu- to quash any concept that they were weak, which ended up making them weaker because John Wick took out the marquee. And it'd be interesting to see where they go as far as if they go move forward in this timeline. People are interested in what's going on with the table. They're interested in what's happening in the future. They're in, the big interest in the John Wick world is the universe it's in, not necessarily just John's story. And now we get to see all these other branching stories that are coming out of it, which will be very interesting to see where they go with that. Yeah, and there's still work. It's not like Keanu as a character in, in the John Wick franchise is essentially over at least anything <laughs> beyond that part of the timeline is, but the continental being a prequel, blah, really likely involving some prequel scenarios. There's still ways you can bring him back. I mean, we, we still don't know what he did to make a deal with the high table to get out of being a hitman. We still don't even know what that is. And that I think because they've never defined that in, in, in it's in, in any yeah, way, just being the deal that Vigo made saying you can get out if you do this and the, those bodies lay the foundation of their organization. Yeah, we don't know how bad or how deep that stuff went. So there's still more that can happen. And they, they have also brought in his family, which we didn't know Winston was a part of until the end of four. Um, and then obviously Katia and all them, they they you know, they're obviously gonna be a rising star amongst the high table because they have a seat at the table. There's a lot of ways things can kind of still be kept interesting, but I think it's gonna be tough without having a good action star like Keanu at the center of it. Um, Donnie Yen, I think, would be great. I'm not but sure. Donnie Yen's also Armas. getting old too, so I don't think we can yeah. rely on Donnie Yen to carry the franchise forward. I think uh, Armas could do something. It depends on how well she can learn action or whatnot. I mean, Halle Berry learned went through the training regiment and did fairly well. Um, but uh, we'll see what what else they can bring to it. Like I said. They've built a universe that everybody's interested in the universe. It's not just like, oh, I'm a Superman fan. I'm interested in Superman. It's like, cool, I'm interested in the world. What else does this <laughs> world have to offer? So they can go a lot of places with it, which I think will be very good to see where they go. Um, and I think they're going to take their time to do it right and not squander it like a studio would. We're like, all right, we need to get another one out every year. And they'll, fuck, and they'll end up fucking it up because somebody will do something wrong and mess it up. See, my, my only real question, though, is I think a big attribution to why it's good is you had Chad Stelheski at the core of this because he is a 35-year ongoing stuntman. He knows about choreographing a good scene. I, I, I think that'd be a challenge, too. Even if you can get a good actor, how are you going to get somebody that knows how to take point? Because obviously Chad built upon it wherever you go from here needs to build upon it too to some degree. Otherwise, there is going to be some sense of disappointment. So I think that that's a, another 
question that's outstanding because we don't really know too much about where the franchise is going. Yeah, and again, that's going to come down to do they find somebody who's humble enough and doesn't have their head up their ass about their own star power and think that they know better than he does or than the choreographers. Because that's the problem. with That's one reason why a lot of people, like you said, are focusing on the action in this movie is when you look at action in other movies, they constantly cut all the action out because they, they chop it up in fucking editing like crazy. To the point it's like, okay, nobody here knows how to fight. That's that's why they're doing this. Or the the long shots look terrible where Chad can film a a stunt scene and do long shots, close up shots and everything else and make it fluid and make it work where you actually get to see the action play out, which is a rare thing to see. And that's one of the things like um in the movie that we just watched last night, the Dungeons and Dragons movie, like some of the action scenes are like, Wow, they actually let it play it out. That's nice, instead of just fucking cutting everything up to a million different shots. Um because, like, that's the thing. The audience now knows the tricks that TV shows and studios use when they have actors who can't do stunts, who can't do choreography right. But they're on a time schedule, so they have to get it done. So they cut up the action sequences. A perfect example of that is the Iron Fist TV show that bombed. Everybody knew that that guy could not do choreography after the first fight scene. It was like 50 cuts for a fist fight. <laughs> Yeah, the editing and everything. I, I forgot who they had for John Wick 4, but it was great. They really had a great filmmaking team on it. I, Even if you don't like action movies, I can at least still recommend 1 and 4 to anybody, even if action is not your thing. 2 and 3, not so much. I, I feel like I've, I've sat down with people, and they got very bored watching 2 and 3, especially during the lulls of it. But 1 and 4, you can honestly watch 1, skip 2 and 3, and watch 4, and still find a very compelling experience. And I would still highly recommend those two films to anybody. I would too. And I would say like two and three are definitely art house films where it's like if you are if you love the the art of filmmaking and you can appreciate how, film, how they film things or how things are shot, you'll like two and three a lot more. But I could sit there and say, hey, watch John Wick 1. Okay. Uh, basically the whole world's after John Wick. Watch John Wick 4. <laughs> and yeah. you're done <laughs> like, okay cool you're caught up <laughs> yeah and and i would i would i'm probably going to buy john wick 4 on blu-ray um john wick 1 i already own on blu-ray um probably going to get two and three and, and i think i want to make an edit of two and three into one film because i think there's something there to kind of bring some brevity to the to the extended aspects of it but it's still a great franchise i'm curious to see where ballerina is going to go when they show that trailer continental they haven't really said much about it, but they haven't even said if it's just going to be the New York Continentals, which brings a lot more interesting aspects to play. There's a lot to play with. Or it could be with. all the different Continentals, or it could be, be something that jumps from one season could be New York, one season could be Osaka, it could be anywhere, you know? Um, yeah. Casablanca would be very interesting as well. Um, it's definitely a great... Uh, they built a good franchise. They have a, a great building steps to go on from here. We'll be interested to see where they go. Um, this is definitely something I would, I would recommend to a lot of people to watch. Um, so definitely if you haven't seen John Wick four, go see it. If you haven't seen John Wick one, go watch that. If, uh, and then you can decide if you like two or three, I think that's up in the air and subjective for anybody to whether or not they feel like they need to watch the whole, watch the whole franchise. But one and four, definitely good cornerstones of this franchise. And it'd be interesting to see where they go from here. Um, we'll wrap this up. Uh, next we've been talking for a little bit over an hour. So you got any final thoughts? Um, if you do watch any of these films in theaters and you have the option, watch it in IMAX. It's definitely worth the cost of the presentation. The audio is especially a critical thing. Um, that's probably my most favorite recommendation. I was in a theater that had a power outage and I was 35 minutes in and I was absolutely disappointing because that was the last IMAX showing I had available to me in my area. So if you can, I highly recommend it. 4DX is probably going to be your best bet. There's still some theaters showing it recommend seeing it in 40x if not imax would be my best second best option but great movie to watch even on a date highly recommended all right thanks for watching or for listening and we'll catch you next time on the nerd crusade podcast find us at www.nerdcrusade.com uh, and we'll catch you next time bye Get a ship and we'll go out Don't quit, take a hit, never hold out It's the weekend